I'd like to welcome everybody back to the pod. I know that we've been a little bit absent for some time, and it's kind of good to be back now. Um, we're kind of in the last little throes of the summer watchmakers holiday. Obviously, there's not been a whole lot of news coming out, and it is a good time maybe to have a moment where we're going to kind of reflect on some things, and there'll be more of that in future episodes. But I think today I had an experience which I have to be honest, it really kind of made me think about the watch business quite a bit, and it was in something completely unrelated, and that being football, or more specifically, as we say in America, soccer. Um, I had played a lot of soccer as a kid, and then up through high school, and even as a semi-professional while I was attending the University of Oregon, and um, let's just say that it was it was a fairly all-consuming passion for me, which slowly over time you know, ebbed away and got to a point where I was so frustrated and fed up uh, with the professional game um, as a fan and as a supporter, seeing how corrupt FIFA was, seeing uh, how really it was about money and very little about the sport, really soured me on it. And I would say over the last six months or so, my love for the game has been slowly rekindled, and I want to give a shout out to Dr. David Kilpatrick first, uh, who I often refer to as the professor. He is a professor at a fairly large university in New York. We did a semester together at Slippery Rock State University way back in the day. Uh, that would have been 1986. Uh, David went on to far greater academic accolades than I did. Uh, David with a PhD and me with a postgraduate diploma. Um, so obviously you can see who the brains of that particular tandem were. Uh, at any rate, David went on to be heavily involved in soccer, um, also through his son and his daughter, and in fact is up until recently, and, and in fairness, I don't know if that's still the case, he was the official historian for the New York Cosmos. Uh, he got to meet a lot of the stars that we both worshipped as kids, you know, Pele, Franz Beckenbauer, Canelia, the whole the whole shooting match. Uh, so David, you know, is kind of one of these characters that I've I've got a whole lot of time for and a whole lot of respect because he he is truly a fan and he also has given a lot back to the game and he's he's one of those people that keeps the sport interesting and lively and keeps a club going um, kind of in the background. He's he's one of these people who has such an influence on things but who you'll never hear about. Uh, but he he is one of those people that really makes the game great and really helped me kind of rediscover my love for it. Um, in addition, I'd like to give a shout out to my old friend Rod Hess, um, a well-known child of Severin, uh, who is in the watch industry, but in fact has been doing some uh, marketing work for FCBLBN, which is a uh, professional team in Switzerland in the watch city, uh, who's gotten me... Uh, very much addicted to the side there to which I follow their exploits from a great distance all the way here in Boston. And then finally, um, again, I guess in a way this indir indirectly is a thank you back to David, who had posted a, a retweet um, from the chair chairman, but we'll say chairwoman of um, Clyde Bank Football Club. And Clyde Bank is based in Scotland. They are a non-professional team at this point, but had in the past been one in previous iterations. Uh, long story short, it was a situation where the team fell on hard times, got sold to another organization, leaving the town with no team to support, and how the town went about 
basically rebuilding something that they could all appreciate and enjoy and take part in. Uh, so much so that now that the team is um, essentially owned by a membership group of which as of this morning I'm a proud member so for 10 pounds sterling you can actually um, you can support and be in a sense involved with that team and it, it gave me a really kind of I mean I have to be honest it gave me a thrill uh, because really I think that's what that's what sport really should be all about it's not about sponsorship deals it's not about um, the latest um, watch endorser. It certainly shouldn't be about you know the latest five million dollar signing that you're going to get. It really should be about a, a place and an event and an ongoing feeling that I think soccer truly can represent. It really can bring people together. And when I think about how easy would it have been for the fans of Clyde Bank to basically disband and go cast their lots in with other bigger teams. Uh, you know, it's certainly easy to be a fan of Celtic, or in my case, Hart of Midlothian or Rangers or Dundee. Uh, but I think, you know, when when you can have such a connection to the community, and as Barry Hearn uh, very famously said, you know, a, a team or a club is a reflection of the community it serves. And I, I think that's a really beautiful statement, and that's what attracted me to them. So I'm very pleased to say that I'm officially um, a member of, in a sense, of the, of the fan organization. Um, given all of those things, what's the connection you're asking? And I'm sorry that we took so long to get there, but we're here now. And I was thinking a lot about the watch business and more specifically about smaller brands and about micro brands. So sit tight. Hanky's going to make the connections and connect the dots here really soon. We'll be right back. Okay, so what exactly does a micro brand and a football club have in common? Probably more than you might think. A micro brand is essentially the dream often of one or maybe a group of friends who are into watches. Some come from the watch industry, some are enthusiasts, but the long and the short of it is it's an opportunity for them to create something that they believe in that didn't previously exist that they hope people out there are going to appreciate as well. Some notable microbrands who have actually gone on to gain enough traction to where they are knocking on the door of being regular brands would include Lundi Blue uh, out of Switzerland, certainly Hogger Watches from Hoggerstown, Maryland, and there are a few others that are starting to creep up and knock on the door. And then there are a lot who basically held that status and will probably always be fairly small, um, fairly dedicated making the watches that they want to make and, you know, in essence, selling selling as much or as little as they wish to. Then we have one other subgroup of that, and that's the folks who, despite all their best efforts, um, can't really get traction. They can't really seem to get and maintain a steady group of supporters or customers. It's ebbs and flows. It's inconsistent. And that can be down to a lot of reasons. It could be inconsistency in the approach of the brand owner, could be fickleness of the market, it could be a million and one different things. But long story short, it is a situation where they're unable to make a go of it on in the long term. So if we think about this, and I was thinking about um, the parallels between 
let's say, lower or non-league soccer um, and how a lot of those teams have tapped into the fan base to kind of keep going. And for a lot of us who cover this stuff, we there's kind of a dirty word, or I guess it's a dirty compound word, and that's Kickstarter. Kickstarter, you know, when it first came out, it seemed like a wonderful idea. It was a great equalizer. It made it possible for all of these folks who had a dream to put something out there to be able to do it without the massive financial risk that they often did in the past. Unfortunately, Kickstarter has really devolved into a race to the bottom. It is nine times out of ten a situation where the lowest common denominator is going to win. There are very worthy projects that just never make it off the starting pad. And then there are some really dreadful, horrific derivative pieces that they're funded beyond belief. And how that happens, well, that's a separate story. But let's just say that it is not what it used to be, is one way to put it. When you start seeing former watch brands um, reinvent themselves and come out again on Kickstarter or former members of the watch community who had run a brand before, it kind of puts you off on the whole idea. Now, again, what does this have to do with soccer? Well, I thought about an idea, and it's an idea that I kind of like, and it's something that I pitched to a few brands, which they say that they like, and they still haven't moved forward with it, but I'm going to put it out there again. And the idea is simply this, that what if there were a way without making a massive investment that you could, in a sense, own a part of a watch brand? And not ownership in the sense of, I've got 500 chairs, and therefore I have 500 votes, and I'm going to go to the board meeting. It would be more along the lines of, you know, you appreciate the company, you appreciate the products, you've invested, let's say, 500 US dollars, and for 500 US dollars, that has earned you uh, a two-year opportunity to purchase three watches at a 33% discount. A lot of, I think, at least in my opinion, what has become a little bit distasteful and a little bit of a money grab with the microbrands going for um, the crowdfunding approach is that it inevitably doesn't work the way that the supporters feel like it's going to. And in fairness to the brand owners, it doesn't often work out the way they think it will either. Or a small brand or even a big brand for that matter. And you offered people the opportunity to buy a non-voting share. And what that share membership you know, basically guarantees you are certain perks and privileges. And the perks and privileges don't have to be dramatic. There are plenty of people who will go on a forum and sing a brand's praises for nothing. But very often, I think there is this feeling that the watch purchaser, the watch collector, the watch fan has almost a sense of identity, very much as you might have an, a sense of identity or affinity for your favorite team or your favorite actor, your favorite uh, music artist. Very often in the watch world, it's very much the same that you feel like you are representative brand X. And the funny thing is that that feeling, despite what you might think, comes across the loudest and the strongest very often in the micro brand world. So I'm just putting it out there on the table that maybe this could be a different way uh, to A, connect with the fans, B, ensure that there is some money coming in, and C, ensure future orders without actually having to go the crowdfunding route. Now, the other piece that I would put on the table 
and it's something um, I think for the bigger brands to consider. What the micro brands do very well, and this is something that I wrote about on Tempest Fujit, and it's in essence how David's kicking Goliath's ass, which is still true, P.S., is that the micro brand owner or co-owner is forced to connect with the public. They are forced to connect with their customer. They are forced to communicate. And that's something that, if you're good at it, can be gold and can ensure that you're going to have a steady stream of customers. You're going to have good sales. You're going to have a rapport. If you are not that type of a person, either in your personal or your business life, then you're going to have a tough time. And the internet is littered with a lot of failed brands where it became very clear that the owner was not ready, willing, or able to engage with their customers. And that inevitably led to the demise and collapse of the brand. So what can the big boys, what can Richemont, what can um, Swatch Group, what can some of these other folks glean from this? And where you see real swells in the smaller watch brands, and that could even include Stoa, and certainly brands like Gavox and brands like what are starting to emerge with Sartori BR, certainly with Minase, um, and some of these are easy for me to identify because I do some marketing work for them, it becomes almost like a community of, of owners. Um, what some what one very famous Porsche owner, Magnus, has said, you know, that's that's Porsche. It's Porsche people. It's this community. And I think that's what made Doxa a great brand is that Doxa, you know, in and of itself. And listen, I worked there for three years. I just am going to be very honest. There's not anything magical to the Doxa formula other than the fact that Rick Murray understood that if you could get the watch in front of people and give them an opportunity to discuss it ad nauseum, um, and you were willing to take both the praise as well as the hits when things didn't go well, that you would build a very solid community and that that brand would take on a life of its own. And no offense to the Yennies, I don't think that's something that they really understood. And given the trend or given, excuse me, the direction that they're taking right now, I'm not sure that they get it even still. Um, and we'll see. And I would love to see Doxa do well, but I think that it was that kind of a unique brand, and especially the Doxa sub, that it was not just going to sit up like Rolex and say, boom, here I am, buy me. And this is, I think, another misunderstanding that a lot of people have. Rolex has been at this for a lot of years, and they've been consistent, and they've continually pumped in a lot of time, effort, and money. And they have never really varied too far from what their message is or their messaging techniques. There is a reason why they're number one, and it didn't just happen overnight. So what could a mid-sized brand learn from all of this? Some could take the opportunity to have um, more, in a sense, membership opportunities for their fans. And I know that sounds a little bit cheesy. It sounds almost like... Um, well, anyway, pick a metaphor. It's It sounds a little bit goofy because, of course, the Swiss watch industry is a bunch of middle-aged white guys, for the most part, who are convinced that they know exactly how things should be. This is a luxury item. We're going to sponsor a yacht or a racing car, and therefore you're going to accept it and love it. 
And what they don't understand and what they still can't understand is, well, wait a minute, we just dumped millions of dollars into Formula One racing. Why aren't Americans buying the watch? Well, here's a newsflash. Americans, by and large, do not follow F1 the same way that Europeans and Asians do. It's just not our jam, for better or for worse. Oh, I know, we'll pump all the money into yachting. Well, again, guess again. You know, that's definitely a very finite marketing space. It is not something that's going to bring the same kind of return. Oh, I know, we're going to sponsor the Kentucky Derby, or we are going to do a single one-off for a very wealthy athlete. And again, all of these things tend to ring hollow after a while. If I could take a little sidebar, I'll point this out. One of the people, whether folks are willing, ready, or able to admit it or not, who really pioneered the idea of being a brand ambassador was Mike Margolis. Um, that started, and Mike can write into me and let me know if I got this wrong, but that started when he was uh, a moderator for a collector's forum, and I believe it was for Blanc Pond. And if, Mike, if I have that wrong, I apologize. Uh, and it was there that Jean-Claude Biver discovered him, and Mike got very heavily involved in the Hublot um, forum. And then that led to Mike getting a pretty sweet job with Hublot, and his watch career was born that way. And what really made that happen wasn't so much of someone just repeating a message. It was someone who was actually engaging with potential customers, with current customers, not as a brand, not as a marketing person, but as a fellow enthusiast. So much so that Jean-Claude Biver himself would frequently get on the Time Zone Hublot Forum and he would respond to messages. He would engage with customers. He was there. And that type of thing really gave Hublot, let's say, you know, the, the stereotypical unfair advantage because what he, Jean-Claude Biver, was starting to understand, thanks to Mike Margolis, was the importance of people, was the importance of connecting with them, was the importance of communicating with them and not just telling them what they want, but actually listening to what they were telling you so you could understand how to offer them what they wanted. Now, Hublot has morphed again, and I'm not sure that you know they're really in a position where they can be as nimble as they once were. Uh, Mr. Biver has, as far as we know, this time really retired. And so it's obviously up to Mr. Guadalupe to say, you know, does he want to pick up that torch again and run with it? Or does he want to stay on the way that they're doing? And there's, you know, one way or the other, it's kind of a neither here, a neither here nor there proposition. But when we look at how can a brand really engage, it's not going to be about having a red carpet event with Cindy Crawford or George Clooney. It's not going to be about doing a limited edition watch for a tequila company. And as much as I love Hublot's latest thing where they're partnering with, for rhino conservation with an organization, unfortunately, that in and of itself is not the same thing. Um, and that was a very human quality and a very human effort that Mike really, and I don't care what anybody else says, I believe this, that Mike, to a large extent, pioneered. So if we can agree that the large brands could make some of that effort, then I would say double that for the micro brands. Because that's the one thing that they can afford. A micro brand can afford free communication through Facebook, through online discussion groups, through um, ambassadors. And I don't mean very expensive ambassadors, but I mean fans, 
people who are enthusiastic about what you're doing. I truly believe that that is going to be the way to create that type of community where there's a sense of identity, a sense of belonging, where people are going to see your watch brand as more than just a brand, but as a part of their life and something that they really identify and connect with. Now, whether or not anybody's ready to jump onto that, well, that's another story. But that's what I got for today. Just a random thought. And I appreciate you taking the time. Unfortunately, that's another chunk of your life that you lost and you're not going to get back. But I do appreciate you stopping in. And until next time, Tempest Fujit.